Rabbi Robin Fryer Bodzin reflects on the state of the world before the flood and what it means to us today. This sermon is called, We Can Do Better. So a few minutes ago, we concluded Sefer B'midbar, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazak. We finished the fourth of the five books of the Torah. And the second of the two parshiots in this morning's doubleheader, Parshat Masay, it mostly detailed the itinerary of the Israelites' travels through the wilderness. After a very long journey, Sefer B'midbar ended with this verse, this pasuk. Ela ha-mitzvot ve-ha-mishpatim asher tziva Adonai biyad Moshe el b'nei Yisrael be'arvot mo'av al yarden yericho. These are the mitzvot, the mitzvahs, the judgments that God commanded b'nei Yisrael, that God commanded the Israelites through Moses on the steps of Moab at the Jordan near Jericho. Before the Israelites reached those steps of Moab, 42 unique encampment sites are mentioned between Ramses and Egypt until the Jordan River. 42. And the author of the Torah doesn't just list these places, but each one is described with these words. You heard it chanted before. And the Israelites set out from, and they encamped at. Vayisu b'nei Israel meiramses, vayachanu besukot. Vayisu, vayachanu. The Israelites set out, and they encamped, etc., etc., 42 different times. Before they arrived at the next location... They took leave of the place that they were in before. The experience at each place was significant to them. And the experience at each place had meaning for them. And each place that they went to and stopped at, it shaped them as a person. And it shaped them as a people. And each place they stopped at, all 42 stops, it helped them on their long journey from slavery to freedom and from the narrows of Egypt to those steps of Moab. Last week, I was honored and quite frankly privileged to be the guest rabbi at Camp Ramah in Canada. Harold, it was significant for me. <laughs> I got a thumbs up. And even though it was only one week, it had a lot of meaning and is now a brief chapter in the narrative, which is my life. A lot of people have asked what I did all week, so I figured I'd tell you now. To my delight, I taught different age groups four times a day, or in Ramah language, I taught four prakim. I leaned. When was the last time you heard me chant Torah? I gave a Dvar Torah on Shabbat to all of the oldest adot, all of the older kids. 
And equally as important, I participated in many small conversations about Beth Sedek and about the special relationship that our congregation has with Camp Ramah. And because it was on the horizon about to be launched, I also spoke with the adults about our new Generations membership uh, program or approach. And when I heard on Thursday, I think through this new approach to membership, where people between the ages of 20 and 40 have a no-fee membership, gotten over 150 new members in 36 hours. So those were good conversations. And I also took a lot of selfies with campers and staff that I quickly texted home to their parents with the following words, contraband, please do not share with others. But the parents really liked it. Now the other thing that I did at Ramah was Simsum. I contracted myself. I spent a lot of time observing because it wasn't my show. I wasn't in charge and I didn't have to make any decisions. I was kind of spoon-fed all that I was doing. Oddly, this was my first time ever at Camp Ramah in Canada. And all of my friends from growing up, they went there each summer, and many of you have been there, and I saw a lot of my friends' kids up at camp, but it was my first time. And I fell in love with the beauty and the routine. It was stunning to interact with children who were not connected to screens. No TV, no computer, no iPad, no iPhones. It was just kids having fun with each other. Summer camp, whether it is Ramah or Shalom or Kadima or a camp that starts with the letter W or a camp that starts with the letter T or any of the camps that your children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews attend, they offer children and teens the experience of journeying with intention and with meaning, just like the children of Israel in our Parsha. If you went to camp, think about how it impacted you. For most of you, it was great. It was life-changing. Maybe you had your first kiss near a canoe. <laughs> or maybe you met your spouse at camp. Or maybe you learned a skill that led you, I'm literally giving my sermon right now, honey. Give me a minute, okay? That led you to your chosen profession. A lot of people love camp. But it's also important that we remember that for some people, summer camp was not great. Because some kids are not nice. In fact, kids can be cruel. Now, journeying from place to place would have made a sweet Dvar Torah had I stayed at Ramah, had we stayed at Ramah this Shabbat as well. But unfortunately, there's much more in this week's Torah reading, which is hard and difficult to read. There is cruelty and super uncomfortable text in the two parshiot this week as well. Now, the first parsha in our doubleheader, Matot, it begins with a little sexism 
That does not sit well with a lot of us. In chapter 30, we read that all men must keep their vows and their promises. Yet women's promises may be nullified by a disapproving husband and father. That wouldn't work so well today at all. And then, if that's not bad enough, we move on to genocide. And in the Parsha, our people are the perpetrators. They're not the victims. It's, it's actually really bad. We read, they took the field against Midian as God had commanded Moses, and they slew every male. And why did this happen? One word, revenge. God said in chapter 31, avenge the Israelite people on the Midianites. Hold on to your kippahs because it's going to get a little uglier. When the Israelite soldiers returned with captured women and children and booty, Moses got angry at the commanders of the army that they didn't do enough. He ordered them to then kill every non-virgin Midianite woman and every male Midianite child among the captives. Midianites. Let's rewind to Exodus. Moshe's wife, Zipporah, she was a... Midianite, and his father-in-law Yitro, the person who taught him all about delegation, also a Midianite. And it gets really bad, and then it gets worse. Because after we read about the Israelites moving from here to there, and here to there, and here to there 42 times, we come to the final verses of chapter 33. God speaks to Moses one more time and tells him to say to the people that when they cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, quote, you shall dispossess all the inhabitants of the land and you shall destroy all their figured objects. You shall destroy all of their molten images and you shall demolish all of their cult places and you shall take possession of the land and settle in it for I have assigned the land to you to possess. The Shela is, how the heck would I teach these verses in the Kumbaya environment of Camp Ramah? What do we do with this? And how do you, adults, feel when you remind yourself each year that this too is Torah? Five minutes ago, we put the Torah away and we said, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are shalom. Not really. There's harsh stuff in the Torah that hurts us inside sometimes when we read it or we hear it. They're like the words of a camp bully. Maybe those of us who had bad camp experiences can relate to it, but what about the rest of us who might look at the world because of our experiences with rose-colored glasses? Now, some people will just ignore these hard texts. They'll just gloss right over them. The challenge with that is it limits the depth of our engagement with Torah. As Dr. Sam Shonkoff wrote a few years back, while commenting on this topic for the American Jewish World Service. 
whether we justify its faults or we fail to behold its wholeness, we and Torah are fragmented. When we come across narratives like, let's kill all the Midianites, or women are second-class citizens, instead of ignoring them, we need to engage with them and struggle with them and get angry at them and maybe make an off-color remark. But then there's more we need to do, which is realize that kol nativoteha shalom. But I want to translate it different. It's not that all of her paths are peace, but rather all of her paths are shalem, like shlemut, they are complete. The Torah is made up of the good, the fantastic, the excellent, and the bad. God is Yotzer Or Uvarei Choshech, Ose Shalom Uvarei Atakol. We say each morning that God forms light and creates darkness, makes peace, and creates all things. But the original text from Isaiah reads, God forms light and creates darkness, Ose Shalom Uvarei Ra makes peace, and creates evil. God does that too. Shalom, the chol nativoteha shalom, it comes from shleimut, from wholeness. And as adult readers and learners of Torah, it's up to us, us, responsibility, to start a process of opening ourselves to the whole story of the Torah not just the parts that we like, and grapple with it. Again, Dr. Shonkoff, seeing and struggling with the Torah's most disturbing faces, even when it elicits emotional responses like shame and anger and sadness, can actually elucidate our deepest values and can help us identify our own ethical and moral orientations. Our productive indignation over unjust texts motivates us to take action on these issues in our lives. One of the most memorable moments in all of Torah happens right near the beginning when God sends a flood all over the earth. And as a sign that God will never flood God's world again, a rainbow is set in the sky. In time, we adopted the ritual of reciting a blessing when we see a rainbow, which is, Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu Malach HaOlam, Zocher Habrit, V'Ne'eman Bivrito, V'Kayam B'Ma'amaro. Although some people just say, Zocher Habrit. Those words mean, blessed are you, God, who remembers the covenant and is faithful to his covenant and keeps his promise. I saw a stunning rainbow at Camp Ramah last week. If you're at home, you can probably see it on the screen right now. It was a hot, hot day. It was supposed to rain all day long. Then it turned sunny, as happens over there. Then it started to rain, and this rainbow appeared. And there were so many bands of color that were visible to the naked eye. And when you see a rainbow, you pause, always, and you point. 
because a rainbow is stunning, especially since it always takes us by surprise. But it symbolizes that bad, that horror, that disgusting way of living that once was pre-flood. And it also reminds us of the current reality we're in, and it reminds us, I hope, that we can do better. The good parts of Matod and Masse, they're great to teach and learn from. And as for the ugly parts, we should read them, we should study them, and then orient ourselves to do better. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>